Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. Gabby. Hello. Hello. My name is Gabby. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot to do that. Like, my name is Goose. And my, I, I just. <laughs> Should we do it again? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is great. Fantastic. My name's Goose. My name's Gabby. Yay! Hooray. <laughs> what did we talk about in this episode, Goose? We're over 100 episodes in and I can't even remember how to do the intro. Um, no, the we intro. just make it up. We just make it up. God. Um, well, in this episode, we talked about rent vesting. So we talked about, yeah. um, we talked about the pros and the cons of rent vesting. Uh, we talked about what it is, uh, how does it work, why is it a good strategy, um, how it can help you to get to your dream home faster. Um, we talked about diversification. We talked about um, the financial mechanics of how it all works and, and what you can get out of it and why there's a lot of benefit in there. Uh, what else did we cover, Gabby? Um, a lot of it is strategic. Like, again, we love these strategic conversations because it's about thinking about how to make proper decisions and think about your portfolio as a larger strategy and how you can choose assets that are going to move actually move you towards your goals. You're not just kind of blinking in and thinking, okay, I need to buy an investment property. I'm going to buy this one there and not really thinking about the strategy. And so we talk about how rent vesting is a really good strategy for a lot of people um, to help them get to their goals quicker. So it's a really, it's a really good episode. I like all like, our episodes, but this is a good one. It's kind of like it's kind of like the fast track. Like if you want to if you want to speed things up, awesome. This is good. This is a great strategy for you. So, um, without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. Make sure you um, like, rate, review, share, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. Give it to a friend, family member, or loved one, uh, and of course, give us feedback. We love that. But that's enough waffle. Let's get into the meat of it. Let's do it. All right, guys. We'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. You're with your pals, Goose and Gabby. Gabby, how are you? I love when you say your pals. Yeah. We're your pals. Your pals. Hello, pals. Your boys. Um, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> pals. Pals is good. Pals. I see with it. How are you, how pal? How are you, pal? I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing really, really good. Um, life is great. Um, overarchingly, there is nothing to complain about. I wake up excited every day. Life's good. How are you going? <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think um, ex- exciting stuff happening in our in our world at the moment, in our business and in life and everything. So I feel like whenever I do like an intro, I'm just like blah blah blah. So happy, blah blah. But genuinely, I'm pretty stoked at the moment. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's I, I think it's a really interesting time. So it's a very interesting time for for us in our lives, as you said, in our business, which is true. It's also really a really interesting time in real estate. You know, I think at the time of recording this, there has been like price surges in places like Sydney and stuff like that, and that's starting to slow down. And I think there's a it's a really interesting time to be interested in the property market. And obviously, that's what we do day in day out. Is is you know we're participants in the in the property market. Mm-hmm. And we're not buying in Sydney, but the reason I, the reason I bring this up is because you know, there's a lot of attention and excitement about property at the moment, generally, you know, it's it's in the media, everyone's talking about it, you know, it's all like property, 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 oh my God, it's all booming, boom, 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 
Um, uh, but what I think is starting to happen right now is some areas are starting to slow down. Uh, well, I don't think that's actually happening. It's not just what I think is happening. Though some areas are starting to slow down, which I actually think is a really, really good thing. Um, because for the first sort of quarter or whatever, for the, you know, for year to date in 2021, as we record this, it's currently in May, you know, property prices across the, across the country have sort of gone up. You know, everyone's like, oh my God, property prices are going up everywhere. And so what's happening now is a lot of the areas that have had sharp, you know, rises in property prices are slowing down. And I think that's going to stay the case. And, and what's really interesting is that what we haven't done is changed the fundamentals about how we, how we find properties and what we do and, and where we choose to invest with our clients and all that kind of stuff. We haven't changed anything about that. And what I think is really exciting is that, is that there is like this kind of like the tide is going to go out, to, so to speak. It's not to say the property market's going to go down, but the tide is going to go out. And what we're going to see is that there's going to be some areas that are going to outperform others over the next, say, 12 to 24 months. And so I just, I just think that there's, I, I think right now, in the, and going, just going back to the, on a macrocosm, I think it's just really a really fascinating time to, to be in the world, you know, like with everything that's going on um, personally, professionally, and, and in, the, in the real estate and business sector, I think it's great. Cool. Well, I, I feel like we definitely need a whole other episode on uh, car, current market, not necessarily to get like in the weeds about like tactical yeah. market strategy, but like holistically all the changes that you're seeing. Mm. And and because you, you talk about this all the time, you talk about the team with it all the time about um, th- things that are changing and how, how the big pieces of the economy shift and then you can use that to kind of forecast what you think is coming and so mm. that'd be really cool i think to do another episode to be able to share you know how you can look forward to be able to make those kind of forecasts yeah because yeah, it's totally. super interesting it's just a big big chess game it's hot, exactly it's like anyone who's seen the queen's gambit like so it's good pre- it's pretty much just that but and but interestingly part of the reason part of the reason that i brought that up in the, is 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 the fact that you know, there's 15,264 suburbs in Australia. Mm-hmm. Most of them are not in places like Sydney and Melbourne, <laughs> unsurprisingly. Um, and what we're going to see is that there are going to be areas around the country that are going to outperform, but probably that, that are going to outperform places like Sydney and stuff like that as well, right? Uh, and that kind of like lends into the discussion that we want to have today about rent festing. You yeah. know, like how do you decide, how do you decide if you you know if you're um, I was going to say a young couple, but you could be any age, right? Um, how do you decide? Should you try and buy a place where you want to live? Should you rent where you want to live and invest elsewhere? Why would you do that kind of stuff? What are the what is rent vesting? What are the pros and cons? All that kind of stuff. And I thought, and it kind of really dovetails really nicely with the fact that there are places where you know certainly we would choose not choose to live, um, not because they're bad, but just because they're not where we want to live that are going to outperform other areas if you can understand the fundamentals and what's happening in the market in the in mark in the markets. So yeah. Yeah. So I think with rent investing as well like it's um it's an interesting strategy that I think people understand like they've heard the phrase and they that people might, you know, understand that it's a thing that you can do in real estate. Mm. But um, you know, we actually, this came up the other week because we actually were at an event with um, a mortgage broker friend of ours and he was saying that he speaks with a lot of clients who, um, you know, they're in uh, Newcastle, so they're around Merriweather. So they were saying that 
um, a lot of the time, you know, they want to buy a property, but they want to buy an investment property, which buying an, an investment property in Merrimethel right now may not be the best investment choice. Mm. But they haven't thought about where else they could invest and they haven't thought about the fact that, you know, you can rent in a place where you want to live based on your lifestyle choices and then look further afield, maybe interstate even, to buy a better investment opportunity. And so that kind of came up from that because he realized that there's a lot of people coming to him, particularly at the moment, asking about, um, you know, there's all these opportunities in real estate, but I also want to get a good investment. So how do I do both at the same time? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's only, and, it, and it's a good point, right? So there's a couple of things to unpack there. So what would make a good investment is mm-hmm. one. Yep. Um, by, you know, investing in your own backyard is another. And uh, another one altogether would be the, the, the idea of, um, well, property prices go up. So aren't I better off buying my own home? So I'm not paying... So I'm not paying rent to somebody else and I'm putting the money into my own investment, right? And that's a really interesting um, way to think. So let's, let's, try and, let's try and dance around this and, and unpack a few things. So for, first and foremost, if you're going to go and buy your own home, it's going to be non-income producing debt, right? So let's say you go, let's say you're in Sydney. We'll just use that as an example. And so interestingly, I've been having this conversation, Gabby, with a, with a mutual friend of ours, Christoph from, uh, from Impulse. He's he's been looking to buy in Sydney for about a year now. He's been looking and looking, and every time I speak to him, he's like, "Oh my god, property prices are going up. I don't know how I'm going to afford them. All of this kind of stuff. He's only got so much borrowing capacity, and all of this, you know. And this is this is a real this is a real challenge for people. They only have so much borrowing capacity, and they only have so much deposit. And whilst they can continue to save, um, you know, it becomes a lot more uh, not more challenging. And I said, "Well, what, you know, what is it? What is it that you want?" He said, "Oh, I just want you know, I want, I want you know, I, I want to be you know, have my money in real estate." And I said, "Why?" He's like, "Well, because you know, it's better for my money to be working for me." And he was kind of thinking, "Well, the, the way to do that is obviously buy a home and live in the home, and at least then your home value goes up." However, um, let's just say, uh, let's just say that you want to buy in Sydney, and let's just say that you have a total available borrowing capacity of eight hundred thousand dollars. Okay. And so that's the total amount of debt that you can get, which is probably you know not far off where a lot of people are at, right? And so let's say you can get eight hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, and let's just say that you've saved up um, two hundred thousand dollars for a deposit uh, and fifty thousand dollars in costs, right? So you, you're able to go and buy a one million dollar property is is the premise that I'm the premise that I'm creating here. So you could probably go and buy a one million dollar property in Sydney, and you'd use up all of your deposit, all of your purchasing costs, and all of your debt. Happy days. Now, the impact of that is that you're going to have repayments on, on your mortgage of about three and a half, between three and three and a half thousand dollars a month, okay? Which works out to be roughly about eight hundred to eight hundred and fifty dollars a week in repayments. Yeah, yeah, right? Pen, pending your loan and all yeah, that. But exactly, rough, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, rough, rough numbers, and um, that's that's why I used to be a range. So. Um, now, based based on those numbers, though, I mean, the reality of the matter is that you could rent in Sydney for a hell of a lot cheaper than that, right? Now, the other implication, because it's not just about what's going to cost you more or what's going to cost you less, but it's actually what's going to allow you to continue to build a property portfolio. Now, 99.9999999% of people who want to build a property portfolio want to do it for one reason, freedom. You know, freedom, choice, abundance, prosperity, live life on their own terms, create a passive income, do all that kind of stuff. 
And that actually only happens if you can achieve a certain amount of scale in your property portfolio. Just buying one house or buying one home is not going to get you to where you want to go. Even buying one home and one investment property is not going to get you to where you want to go. I mean, it's better than doing nothing for sure. Uh, but certainly, it's not going to create the levels of prosperity that most people dream of when they have this um, vision of their future life. So you've got you to start thinking, okay, how am I going to design my financial ecosystem for scale? Now, if you only have the ability to get $800,000 worth of debt, and then you go and buy a $1 million property, that debt is going to be non-income producing debt, which means that uh, it's going to cost you money and it's not going to make you any money, which means it's going to use up all of your serviceability. Uh, and it's also non-tax deductible debt. So you've essentially bought a liability. And if we think about like assets versus liabilities in the, in the sense of like which ones make you money and which ones cost you money, yes, your home may go up in value. It's not a given. Property markets move in, in interesting different ways. So between 2017 and, and 2021, so if we, you know, in January, over a four-year period, property prices in Sydney had only gone up by, by 1% or something. Right? So, so it's not actually this, this given that if you buy a property, it's just going to suddenly shoot up in value. That's just not, it's just not wholly true. It can happen, um, but it doesn't always happen. And so ultimately, buying your own home, it's a bit of a crapshoot where you're going, okay, look, maybe the property is going to go up. Maybe it's also where I want to live, um, but it's also not going to pay me any money. It's not going to make me any cash. It's actually going to be a cash liability. And so what that means is if you decide to go on holidays for, well, let's say you, you decide you want to go travel around the world for a year, you're still going to have to pay that mortgage. Sure, you could rent it out and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, the actual fact of the matter is if you're in Sydney, you can rent for a hell of a lot less than you can pay a mortgage for. Hence why yields are low in Sydney and hence why... Uh, almost all properties in Sydney are going to be negatively geared because the income produced by those properties on a rental basis is going to be less than the cost of debt. Does that all kind of make sense? Yep, it does. So the flip side of that though, now I want to put a caveat in here because human nature is a really, really massively powerful and important thing. And we can talk about numbers and we could talk about you know, why it makes you know, financial sense to do one thing or another. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's just really important for people's values to own their own home. They want a nest. And that's totally, totally cool. Like I'll be the last person to say that, oh, your values are wrong. Oh, you want to own your own home and bring up your own family and your own home that you own. Yeah. I mean, awesome. If that's your values and your belief system, sweet. Fantastic. Live that. Um, but it's important to be educated around what the implication of that is financially. So on the one hand, we've, we've laid out a scenario where someone's been able to go and buy a $1 million property uh, and they're basically capped down, right? So they've got no more borrowing capacity left um, and it's costing them, we'll call it three and a half grand a month in repayments. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, in another scenario, you would be able to take that same amount of value. So let's just say the same amount of debt the same amount of deposits, the same amount of all of that kind of stuff and buy, let's just say, two $500,000 properties, right? That would be income producing. Now, if you buy positive cash flow properties, this is going back to what I said earlier, like what makes a good investment versus make, what makes a bad investment. If you were to buy positive cash flow p- properties that are going to be producing more income than they use, and if you can be very strategic about making sure that you are buying in, in a place at a time that is primed for growth as opposed to just buying where you want to live and and, it's either going to be a growth part of the growth cycle or it's not going to be part of the growth cycle. But if you can be strategic about making sure that you are actively seeking out the locations that are going to grow over the next five years and also actively seeking out properties which are going to produce a net positive income, 
then all of a sudden that same amount of debt is going to stretch a lot further. The reason for that is that you're going to be servicing that you will have your personal serviceability and then the properties in, in the fact that they are producing income like a business are also going to contribute to the serviceability of the loan. So what what is likely to happen is that your $800,000 borrowing capacity, if you were to buy two properties at $500,000, uh, using the you know the same metrics, two hundred thousand dollar deposit, all that kind of stuff. Um, the likelihood is that you're going to be able to continue to buy more properties because you will have essentially bought back some of your serviceability by serviceability by the nature of the cash flow you produce from the properties. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I think I think I think one of the I think one of the big um, challenges that people have though is that they get confused by um, by this idea of you know expenses and and costs and all of that kind of stuff and it's largely because a lot of people still don't think you can buy you know cash flow positive properties right or the fact or they think that all properties cost a million bucks you know I was having an interesting conversation yesterday um, it, with Christoph that I mentioned earlier plus a, a friend of his uh, her name is Sharon uh, and Sharon asked me say hey what do you do and I said hey I help people invest in property and uh, we started talking about that and then she was like, oh my God, I want an investment property. Uh, but who's got a million dollars? Who's got a million dollars to spend on an investment property? I was like, well, actually, we're buying investment properties between like $200,000 and $900,000. And they're all growing really, really fast and producing heaps of cash flow. And she was just like, what? Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. And so it was just, she, just, she was just really confused. She was just like, what? I don't understand. Because um, the fact of the matter is, you know, the, the reason that you might want to rent vest is uh, like it's very very simple terms live live where you want and pay less because you're not paying the mortgage and then use your money where it's going to actually work harder for you and actually get you a much better return um where people go wrong with it though is they go okay okay i get this i get this right so live where i want so rent where i want to live so let's just say bondi for example rent where i want to live and then buy an investment property but then they go and buy an investment property which is negatively geared and so then you've got the literally, you've literally got the worst of both worlds. You're paying the expensive rent uh, to a landlord, and then also you've got the expense of holding a property as well. So it's kind of like this really uh, weird double negative, I think. Yeah, and I think I think what where that stems from, right? There's a psychological piece with pe- most people because not everyone is super into real estate, right? No. The the vast majority of Australians do not think about real estate anywhere near as much as we do or the people that you guys that listen to the podcast probably do as well um so their exposure to real estate investment and news and things is is from the news and it's from you know articles that are kind of written by um major publications or they're from you know heads of major um real estate agencies who want to make a comment on the industry because they, you know, it is a it, it's a big it's a big consideration in in the country, so it is worth commenting on in, on the news level. But they they'll talk about just kind of like the the central cities. They'll talk about major cities or you know the outer suburbs, and they talk about the median prices. So it's like on the major news, you always hear about you know prices are going up, and you might hear about the median prices being a million dollars in certain suburbs. Mm. And so people, if if you're not super into real estate or reading about it or doing your own kind of research, you that's the, that's as much as you hear about real estate. Yeah. So people hear that prices are going up, medians are now a million dollars. So I need a million dollars to be able to buy anything, right? And so that's kind of where most people are sitting. 
Um, so that's kind of why I think we end up having those conversations where people go, well, I, I don't see the point in buying an investment property when I need that million dollars to buy a home, but then I would need that million dollars to buy an investment and it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think, I think there's, in my mind, and I'm interested to get your opinion too, Gabby, I think that for me, there's, there's three really big major driving reasons why I personally think that everyone should rent best. Not forever, just to be clear, not forever. I don't think people should rent best forever because, you know, I think most people want a dream home. And when you ask, when they can say, look, when when most people are tossing up the question like, hey, should I invest or should I buy my own home? And if I ask them like, okay, well, if if you buy your own home, is it going to be your dream home? Universally, the answer is no, right? Because the dream home is something that they can't yet afford, right? 99.9% 99.9% of cases. So then the question is like, how do you get, how do you get to your dream home? How do you live life without compromise and all that kind of stuff? So the the big things for me and the reasons I think most people should rent best, and and then I'll get back to how you buy the dream home in a minute using rent vesting because that's a really key key component of it. Number one, lifestyle. Number two, borrowing capacity. Number three, you actually increase your you actually increase your wealth much faster. Right. So I'll touch on all of those points and then I'll and then. Make sure I don't forget, Gabby, about um, how does this tie into people actually getting their dream home? Because most people don't want to be renters forever. I don't want to be a renter forever either. You know, um, it's just that my dream home is going to cost a hell of a lot more than we can afford. <laughs> so, so uh, first, the first point is lifestyle. Um, you know, for most people, based on their current savings, if they if they were to buy where they can afford, it's probably not going to be where they want to live. Right, yeah. most of the time, most likely, most of the time, because they'll be buying based on affordability rather than desirability. Um, however, I am a massive believer in in uh, frugal hedonism. So you've got to you've got to live every day in an enriched way, um, full of abundance and not scarcity, and really get the maximum return out of life. You know, you want to get the maximum ROI on life, and so I think you should prioritize things like lifestyle and stuff. However, I don't think you should. I don't think you should do that and just in a very splurgy, waste heaps of kind of money way, right? So if you, if we take our situation for example, you know, the if we were to go and buy a uh, a one million dollar apartment in Bondi, we currently live in Bondi. I think anyone who listens to the show is probably know, probably knows that already. If we were to go and buy a one million dollar apartment in Bondi using the numbers that I that I uh, laid out earlier, so million dollar property, eight hundred thousand dollars debt, two hundred and fifty thousand in purchase costs, right? That'll cost us roughly eight hundred to eight hundred and fifty dollars a week in repayments. Right, we're currently paying about two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars a week in rent. Okay, so even if we jacked that up and said, "Well, we're probably paying quite cheap rent," but let's say um, half, let's just say four hundred dollars is the average rent in Bondi. You know, you can literally save fifty percent of your cash whilst also getting to live where you want to live with live in a place that is more uh, in line with your lifestyle choices. But there's other there's other unintended benefits as well. So you get to you get to choose. You have more flexibility flexibility to choose where you want to live, and you can do it cheaper. So you can, and then that cat that additional cash that you're saving can then contribute to you living a better life. Might allow you to go out for dinner whilst also you know, a couple of nights a week whilst also saving more money. But you've also got a lot more flexibility. So I know for you and I, we for a long period of time we were like we can't really live anywhere for more than six months because we just get itchy feet and want to move. So. If you go and buy your own home, you're kind of like, you know, you're you're getting yourself set up rock solid in a certain location. And if that's not the place that you would choose to be 
on any given day, then you're setting yourself up to have a long-term position in a place that you don't, you're not necessarily going to be inspired to live in. Um, Can I just touch on that? Hmm. So I think with that one as well, like with, this has come up quite a few times with our clients, right? Because people come to us and they might have, they might own their home, and then we do a bit of an assessment on their current portfolio and what what kind of pizzas need to go in there next to help them move towards actually achieving the goal that they want. Did you say what kind of pizzas need to go in there? Pieces. <laughs> you can we can say pizzas, pizzas. Um, what kind of pieces need to go into that portfolio next? And so um, the the thing to consider then is like a lot of people come in and they say like I want to buy an investment property but also something that I would want to live in at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's ultimately like I think everyone kind of has that innately like it would be nice to own a property that, you know, one day if I moved up to, to there, I could live there and it would be nice. Like that's kind of like this idealistic dream. Um, but it's usually there's usually a mismatch a based on lifestyle based on if you're going to buy an investment that is a financial asset that's a good investment in returning mm. you um, what you need may not be in a location where you are happy to live yourself but it's also um, it may not actually if you buy somewhere that you would want to live in chances are the yields are not going to be there to be able to keep that as a cash flow positive kind of set and forget asset if you decide to move out of there. So it's the same with like us. If we came to Bondi and we bought an apartment, which we could do if we did that, um, chances are that if we decided to move somewhere else in six months, if we were to rent that out, it's very unlikely that that would be positively geared. Yeah. And that's kind of the assessment you do about um, should I hold my home or should I – you know, maybe sell it or reallocate the resources to a different investment is basically an assessment on if you were to rent that out, how would that affect the cash flow? Would it be cash flow positive or would it be cash flow negative? Um, yeah. Which is, I think, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing to think about when you're thinking about your home. Can it also be an investment or not? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think it's and it's a really interesting point because I've had a lot of those conversations where it's like, well, I'd like to buy an investment property that theoretically. You know, if everything were to go to pot, I could yeah. move there. Yeah, and it's like, well, okay, is that likely to happen anytime in the future? If so, maybe don't buy an investment property. Maybe just save your cash right for a start. Uh, and this kind of like, you know, you really got to decide: are you buying a holiday home or are you buying your your future retirement home? In which case, you're basically just making home decisions, not investment decisions. You're like, where is it that I want to sit on the porch? Right, is not the same as making. Uh, where am I? Where am I going to get the best return for my money? And it's the same way to think about shares. You know, a lot of people are invested in shares, and you might, I don't know, have invested in in Rio Tinto, for example, um, because you're like, well, if I put my money in Rio Tinto, it's going to go well because iron ore prices are going up. But you might not want to go and work there, right? You might not have any aspiration to want to go and work for Rio Tinto for a variety of reasons might not be your profession. You might not want to work in that kind of culture. But, you know, hey, look, happy to put my money into the business and make money out of it, right? And so it's a, it's an interesting way to think about it. You really got to disconnect it too, which is why we don't help people to buy homes. You know, we don't... We help people to buy investment properties. We're very, very good at that. But we would be the worst people... Well, maybe not the worst, but we're not geared to like, hey, I don't know, like, do you like the kitchen? You know, is that not... That's not really the, the outcome that we're after. And you really got to disconnect those those two ideas because at the end of the day, let's just say you you want to hedge uh, for security because I know a lot of people think like this. 
well, what if I only buy one investment property? And what if it is, what if I want to end up living there? Is that the kind of place that I might want to end up living? The, the reality of the matter is, if you've got a property which is cash flow positive, right, and it's going to self support all of its own debt, it's not going to be a, you know, if you lose your job or any of these kind of things happen and you're like, oh my God, where am I going to run to? You know, then you're, you're going to still be in a good position to be able to go and rent somewhere else. You don't have to go and move into the, to the investment property because, oh my God, it's suddenly costing you money or because it's just not going to be. And so the same logic applies. Let's say you live in Sydney and you want to invest in the Sunshine Coast because you're like, well, I could see myself living there one day. It's like, yeah, you could also see yourself renting there one day and probably renting a nicer house than you would get uh, than if you bought. Uh, and and also in that at that point in time it would be more befitting to your current lifestyle because you'll be choosing based on your current needs because it could be five or ten years before you you know hypothetically potentially might want to move there. I just think the whole there's no logic in that discussion, which is why it kind of like rubs me the wrong way because I'm very uh, logic oriented. So from a lifestyle perspective, rent vesting it makes perfect sense because you have a higher level of disposable income because you're typically going to be paying less than you would be paying in a mortgage. Uh, and this actually, here's a caveat, right? If you live somewhere, let's say you live in a, I don't know, let's say if you if you live somewhere where the cost of renting is higher than the cost of debt on the mortgage, right? And you want to buy in that area, then maybe consider it. Like you'd have to kind of like crunch the numbers on that a little bit. But the, the premise is that uh, in the vast majority of cases, it's going to be cheaper for you to rent than it is going to be for you to own your own home in the same location. Right, so plus you get more flexibility. You can move around. You can do all that kind of stuff, and you've got more opportunity to go and enjoy life as well. So I think a lifestyle piece is a really massive one. So the second one for me is borrowing capacity. Like as as I mentioned just earlier, you know the key to building a prolific and profitable property portfolio is is maintaining your borrowing capacity. You know, maintaining your debt to income ratio. Right, debt to income ratio is the thing that stops people buying more properties. And so the easiest way to navigate that is to make sure that any debt that you've got is income producing debt so that it contributes to the income side of the debt to income ratio. If you chew it all up on non-income producing debt, then you're just capping yourself out. Now, I'm exactly the same as everybody else. I'm nothing special. I just want to live a better life and have more freedom, choice, and abundance. And that's going to come by investing in good assets that are going to pay me money. And I want to be thinking about how do I extend my ability to do that in a safe and risk-averse way. And the reality is that that currently doesn't doesn't include uh, having a, a, a cash flow liability and a debt liability, which is what a family home is. Yeah, cool. Yep. Nice. I saw you write down diversification. You want to talk about I diversification? I did. I'm taking, I'm taking notes as they pop into my mind. Um, I was just thinking about as well, like I think the diversification aspect of all of this is really under-discussed because um, it's not just like for like where, you know, if I've got a million dollars borrowing capacity, I could either buy a home here or I could buy an investment property here or wherever for a million dollars. It's also, you know, using that one million to maybe buy three properties, two or three properties, Mm -hmm. maybe four properties, who knows, um, around different high growth potential locations that are positive cash flow and have value add potential um and you're spreading it's not just spreading your risk but it's also diversifying the gain right so if you've got if you've got a base of let's say it's a $300,000 asset that you buy mm-hmm. if you've selected the right asset in the right location you can get as a percentage more capital gain out of that asset over the next 5 10 15 years than if you were to 
put all of that into one asset in one location. So you get, as a percentage basis, you would get more capital gain. In Theoretically, that would happen if you had yep. a diversification of locations and assets, but you would also get positive cash flow um, and diversification of tenancies around those kind of places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's the theory of technically the more doors that you have in your investment properties, the less risky it is because if anything happens in any one of them, you can you have maneuverability, right? You can then make a choice and ch- change and adapt to what comes up. So Yeah, totally. All things being equal, I'd rather have 10 properties than one uh, from that diversification piece because if you have one that goes vacant, it's only 10% of, 10% of your property portfolio. Yeah, um, or, if, or if a market randomly completely tanks totally. and everyone moves out of that area, then you go, oh, okay, I'm going to move my funds somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. And so to that degree and... You know, you need to think about this. I, I like using shares as, as, a, as a comparison analogy. It's like having all, let's say you've got your, let's say you've got $100,000 of savings. It's like putting all of that back in one company. It's like putting it all into Afterpay and hoping that it's just going to continue to go up. And it's actually been going down a lot lately versus um, diversifying that across a number of assets or a number of companies. Or even putting it in something like a fund where there's exposure to lots of different uh, different kind of uh, businesses and stuff. And so, really, that diversification piece actually gives you way more stability. Uh, and of course, if you if you've got cash flow and growth, you're actually magnifying your cash on cash returns and your and your return on investment massively. Um, that's the that's whole your- reason. That's the whole reason people invest in things like the ASX 200, right? It's like there's a there's a safety. Yeah, it's two hundred properties. So if one of them yeah. tanks, it's only it's only one two hundredth, you know. Yeah, and there's a reason they do that. They don't just, yeah, they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And interestingly, I got really excited in the last few months, just like having little having little punts on small cap, micro cap stocks, because like sometimes you could buy you're one. Having a good time. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you buy one and it go up by one hundred and fifty percent. You're like, yes, I'm a genius. Uh, and then. You know, you'd have another one and it'd go down by about 80%. You'd be like, oh, okay, I'm not really sure what happened there. But of course, you don't call yourself an idiot. You're just saying genius when it uh, wins. And, the market. And then it's, it's not just me. the market. Yeah. And I'm, now I'm just like, oh, man, who, just, who needs that? Like, just let's have, let's have a bit more diversification and let's, you know, get a bit more stability. So, um, okay. So we've covered lifestyle, borrowing capacity. That's a massive one. Um, and then increasing the savings in cash, right? So, the reality of the situation is, let's say you've got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, using the example that we started out with, but you know, to buy a million dollar property. Um, basically, you know, if you've got repayments of let's say thirty five hundred dollars a month, you're probably not going to be saving a lot of cash, depending on your, you know, depending on your income, right? But you're probably not going to be saving a lot of cash. Yeah, that's actually potentially going to create a bit of mortgage stress, depending on your household income scenario, etc. Um, if if though you were to be renting for let's just say $400 a week, right? Rather than $850 a week in mortgage repayments, you're going to be saving an extra $450 a week in cash. Okay. So $450 a week times by uh, 52 is going to be an extra $23,400 over, over the course of a year. Now, if on top of that, you took that initial $250,000 and you bought, say, two $500,000 properties. And they went up by 10% each, right? So you've made $100,000 in, in gain in equity, right? On your two investment properties. And let's just say they've both also produced um, $2,500 cash flow, net cash flow each. So you've made an additional $500,000. So you've made 
thousand dollars in your investment properties, and then you've saved, we'll call it round figures, twenty five thousand dollars in your cost of living expenses because you're paying only say four hundred dollars a week rather than eight hundred and fifty dollars a week, right? Then you're going to be then you're going to end up with one hundred and thirty thousand dollars rather than just if you you know you may let's just say you bought the $1 million property and it also went up by 10% and you would have made $100,000 gain versus $130,000 gain, you basically created an additional 30% in uh, additional returns. So if you're someone who is thinking about how do I actually move a little faster? How do I do it safer? How do I get more out of life? And all that kind of stuff makes sense, right? So just using very simple maths, I've been able to illustrate that you know, all things being equal, you can end up 30% better off over, over one year um, just by but just by rent vesting. Now, on top of that, you're also going to extend your borrowing capacity, and on top of that, you're going to be able to live where live in a more probably a, potentially a more desirable location. Now, desirable is subjective, and maybe desirability for you is to live in the Blue Mountains. Maybe desirability for you is to live in Alice Springs. Maybe desirability for you is to live, you know, uh, you know, on in Manly or something like that. Right? So there's always kind of different. Des- what is desirability? Um, but fundamentally, you're going to be able to choose lifestyle over just affordability, which I think is a really, a really big thing. And then you better get your money to work for you for that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. But how do you buy the dream home? <laughs> how do you do it, Goose? So that kind of ten- touches on the last point, right? So if you've got your money working for you harder and you're also able to save more, what you're able, going to be able to do is be able to compound those returns, right? So if you're getting a basically a, an additional 20 to 30% gain just by rent vesting plus you're extending your borrowing capacity you're going to be able to magnify those returns over over time and so what's likely to happen is let's say over all things being equal depending on your starting point and what your objective is but i had this discussion with with someone the other day who said you know i can't remember the exact amount of cash they had to start with but they wanted to buy a, a couple million dollar home in manly um which is how much it would cost now would be about two million dollars I said, okay, well, by the time you want to buy it, it's probably going to, uh, by the time you're going to be able to buy it, it's probably going to be about a $5 million home. So if it was going to be a $5 million home, how much cash would we need to buy it? Well, we'd need a 20% deposit. That's a million plus, you know, um, plus probably nearly $500,000 in costs, right? So you're going to need about $1.5 million. Uh, and they had something like $400,000. So I was like, great, how are we going to bridge that gap? And the way that we, the, the way that we're going to bridge that gap is by investing intelligently, by compounding the returns and the gains that they're making in a way that, that is then going to expand their capital base and then allow them to either leverage, because we're going to have to build in a lot of cash flow into the portfolio as well, either leverage the equity that they're going to create over the next, say, five five years or so, five to six years, and then use that to fund the deposit for the dream home, the $5 million dream home, and also use the cash flow from the property portfolio to service the loan. Because this is the big piece that a lot of people forget. They go, oh, how, how do I get a $1.5 million? But let's say you've got a $5 million dream home and you've got $1.5 million, you're still going to have $4 million worth of debt that you need to service. So you're going to need to think about what is the cost of debt. And so what you ultimately want to do is you want to create a property portfolio, which is going to spin off a bunch of free cash flow and help you create the deposit. So it should do two things. Create the deposit that you want for your dream home and also create enough cash flow to be able to either cover or mitigate the cost of debt so that you can actually afford to do it. Because even if you've got $1.5 million in cash, you might not have the borrowing capacity to be able to buy that, buy that dream home or to be able to afford that debt. So this is, this is how we need to think about using our money to work for us so that we're essentially, rather than just looking at how much money can we make with our wages, it's like, how much can my portfolio spin off? Can I create a property portfolio that can spin off $100,000 in free cash flow 
every year, plus on top of my $100,000 of personal salary. And can also do all of that kind of stuff and also create an, an additional million or $1.5 million in available equity that I can then use to fund my dream home. And so the goal, everyone should shoot for their dream home, but the goal should be how do you get your dream home without paying for it? That's, that's, the, that's the hack. And I think that I think that rent vesting is the answer to doing that because if you can get all the chips to go and work for you rather than you working for them, they're going to be able to then fund the lifestyle that you want. Yeah, and I lo- I love all of these conversations, right? Because it's it's multiple times a week talking with clients about uh, what is it, what is the end goal, right? It's always like start with the end in mind. It is what are you trying to achieve in your life? financially like what is going to fill your cup in the next 10 15 20 whatever the end goal timeline is and how do we strategically work backwards from that and reverse engineer of okay what assets do you need to buy that are going to exactly how you explained they stack up and then you can leverage out and do into more cash flow and and building out these assets that are strategically designed to get you to that end goal, whether that's buy a dream home for $5 million, whether that's, you know, replace my income in five years, whatever that goal is. And so this is how all of our client relationships start. It's about going, where do you want to be at the end? How do we need to plan your portfolio to get to that? Okay, what is the next asset that we need to buy? Mm. And then we help you go and find the best asset that's actually going to to do that first piece. Yeah, it's such a good point that you've raised there, Gabby, because a lot of people think that, oh, okay, so we just go and buy heaps of properties. That's it. We just go and buy heaps of properties. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Interestingly, I had a conversation with a a client of ours who we're actually in the process of going, well, how do we restructure the whole portfolio? They bought a bunch of properties before they came to us. Um, And in actuality, they got the... like the, the the portfolio hasn't been structured correctly, and so what that what that actually means is that they if they keep going in the way that they're going based on their current savings rate and household income, they they're not going to get to their destination. So what that means is they're not save not able to save a lot because they've got a young family, they've got you know all of that kind of they're stuff. They're running out of gas. Yeah, they're running out of gas, and so if they just keep leveraging, they've got a few residential properties. But if they just keep trying to leverage to get more capital, their cash flow is going to decrease, their borrowing capacity is going to decrease, and they're on a downward spiral. And so, in that specific scenario, uh, what we're looking at doing is selling off a large portion of the portfolio to then go and fund a higher cash flow asset, so they're starting from a higher yielding base, so they don't run out of serviceability as much, and then repurposing the capital to be to be supported in that way. Um, and all of this has to be thought about if if you're, you know, no one should start investing if they don't know why they're investing. Just don't. Just go and do anything else, right? Do any, literally anything else. Um, but if you do know where you want to get to, you need to think what strategically and systematically are the processes going to be or what types of properties do I need to buy in what order? How do I make sure I don't get stuck? What is the, you know, what are the steps that I need to take to get from where I am now to where I want to be? Um, and how do I make those decisions in the, in the right way at the right time? Uh, and for a lot of people, it's going to be sort of slightly contrarian. They're going to need to re reassess what their values are. Most most people would say, "Yeah, look, I want to own my own home." And it's like, "Well, yeah, but would you want to, you know, I don't know if you're in Melbourne, would you want to own your own home in Caroline Springs, or would you prefer to own your own home in Brighton?" Right. So, for example, right. And so you've really got to weigh up the the short versus the long 
And I I think, you know, way up, not the risk versus reward, but short-term gain versus long-term gain. Um, However, I don't think that that needs to be some brutal compromise where you're like, okay, I'm just going to go and slave away and I'm going to live like, you know, I'm going to make my life basically suck right now so that I can live a better life later. I don't think that that's true. Like, I don't think that you have to, you know, cut yourself down to the bone now in this, you know, and hold up this destination that you're eventually going to get to if you do everything right. I think, why don't we aim to have it all? Like, why why don't we have our cake and eat it too? Why don't we have fun along the way and also achieve great levels of prosperity and abundance and, and happiness? And, you know, happiness is not a destination. It's a state of being. And I think that people need to think about what is going to make me happy on this journey, not just will I be happy at the destination? Because I can tell you, if you've had a bad time getting to the destination, it's probably going to be bittersweet. Uh, so I think people need to be thinking about, about that, that kind of stuff and then how they can, how they can bring more, uh, more fun into the journey along the way rather than just slaving away. Yeah. And I think so, like, if you think about short-term and long-term, right, the short-term, the, hard, the hardest part of this whole property investment strategy right just any any property investment is like that initial deposit like if you don't own any if you don't own any any property um particularly you know a lot of the younger people we speak with like they work really hard to get their first deposit and then if you put it in an asset that is it's a really good asset that's going to good um give you good yields and give you good growth returns um that can set you up to keep going so the the hard part where you're you know slaving away as you said is done largely if you select the right assets and make Mm -hmm. sure that they're moving towards your goal um part of that as well as i think it's like it's a it's a big psychological shift for people when you know we say buy a positive cash flow asset so technically it's spinning off excess cash every month or however long you get paid out um however frequently you get paid out so people might think that as like, okay, well, that's my cash that I can go and spend now, you know, it, mm. particularly if you've just been saving for a deposit and then you go and buy an asset that's positive cash flow, which is awesome. But we see this when clients get excited that you know, money's starting to come into their account. Um, but if you think about it, you need to think about it more long term. If you, if you actually take that cash and you start using it and, and spending it on your life, which, you know, whatever, it's your choice, you can do what you want. But if you think about it more long term, you need to think about these assets as re- really set and forget. Like you need to think about them as somewhere that I'm going to put my funds and it self-services and it, you know the money comes in and then the money goes out and it just kind of does this thing and it sits there and it grows and it is there for me to use when I need it. Mm. So you can obviously, when you do need it, you can leverage out again, but maybe you've got some extra cash sitting in there that you can then use to contribute to a deposit doesn't need to be a whole deposit but you can contribute to a next deposit that means that you're going to get a lower lvr so then you're going to have um lower repayments on your next one so you're going to have even more cash flow on the next property yeah totally and that's and that's sorry to jump in there that's such a good point because a lot of people think like oh my god i'm getting some cash flow from our properties Great, let's go out for dinner or something like that or even you know what i was talking about at the start like celebrate but then go okay Let's get serious. Totally. And even, even what cash. I'm saying, you know, with rent vesting where you can save, let's say you can save 50% or so on rent on rent versus uh, mortgage, it'd be easy to be like, well, great, I've got an extra 450 bucks a week just to go and, you know, spend let's on- Let's rent a Beamer. On. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> fine, 
However, the much smarter way of doing doing that would be to go, it's more like a dividend reinvestment plan where you go take that additional capital that you've made and reinvest that into your portfolio. I think it's about balance, right? So let's say let's say that, you know, in our scenario, I think we're only paying about 250 bucks a week in rent, which is pretty sweet. Um, so the difference between 250 and 850 is 600. Okay. So, you know, does that mean that we have to go and put all 600 straight into into property or could we could we say well you know let's put 400 into property and spend an additional 200 dollars a week on you know going out for dinner and living a nice life and i think that that's where people need to think about balance um but certainly when you put your money into your property portfolio you probably shouldn't take it back out and i think that's where a lot of people make a mistake is they go wow i've just made a thousand bucks all right i'll go and buy some new shoes or what i don't know who's buying thousand dollar shoes but um <laughs> But you get you get my point, you know. Rather than just yeah. pumping it back in, they should be using it to um, pay down debt or to um, to hold a savings towards another deposit as well. Yeah, I think it's about identifying your goal and then committing to that goal and remembering that in the short term. Um, you know, if your goal is that I want this amazing outcome, but not at the expense of a good life, then you set a rule for yourself of, you know, this much I'm going to allow myself to take out every week because. You know, that's part of what's going to fulfill me. I'm still going to get towards my goal. I might still keep 70% in, but I'm going to take 30% out. Um, and then just setting that rule and staying disciplined to that rule. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I hope it. I hope for people who don't understand, let's just recap, right? So rent vesting is the concept of renting where you want to live at a cheaper price than it would cost you to own and pay a mortgage in that area. Then taking your capital and putting investing that in locations which are um, potentially going to give greater returns, better diversification, and also at the same time increase your borrowing capacity by you know buying buying the right assets, uh, and um, and also allowing you to have a better lifestyle and save more money along the way. So ultimately, rent vesting is is a way for you to accelerate your desire to or accelerate your. Uh, capacity to get to your end destination and your goal in a shorter period of time. Um, now, if you already own your own home, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should go and sell it and then start renting. You know, you go back and have a listen to our debt recycling episode because there's some really great ways you can use investments to pay down the debt on your home and you know get all the benefits out of that. So it's not to say that everyone has to rent, but the point that I would make is that if you're uh, in the process of building out your property portfolio. The, I would suggest that for most people, unless you already own your own home, for most people, the pros are going to weigh, outweigh the cons when it comes to rent vesting, particularly if you're interested in building a prolific and profitable property portfolio. Boom. Boom. All right, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this. Give us feedback. Let us know how you go. And of course, if you have any ideas on topics that you would like us to cover. Um, so this came, this particular episode came from that. It came from people saying, hey... Could you guys talk about rent vesting? How does it work and who's it for and all of that kind of stuff? Um, and that's why we did this episode. So if you've got feedback and things that you want to cover, uh, no matter how quirky, bizarre, or interesting or fun, send it through. Shoot us an email, hello at dashdot.com.au. Uh, and of course, make sure that you like, rate, review, share, uh, subscribe, do all of that kind of stuff in this episode. And if you want to reach out and if you want help to build a prolific, property, pro- prolific profitable property portfolio, uh, just reach out to us. Just head to theinvestorlab.com.au. There's a contact form there. But I think without... I think that's it. I think we're good. I think you're good. Great. All right, guys. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye.